Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. Now I'm telling you something, I believe the Holy Spirit is, is, is speaking to some people in here today that you've been in disobedience too long, you've been in rebellion too long. It's time for you to leave that place. And it's time for you to come back to the presence of God. The title of my message today is Necessary Endings and New Beginnings. Necessary endings and new beginnings. I, I would encourage you to get your Bible out or if you, if you follow scripture on your phone app to get that out. You need, to, you need to just make some notes along the way because what we're going to do is we're just going to go through it scripture verse by verse. And, uh, and, and so that we can get the full interpretation, meaning and understanding of God's word. This is what I enjoy doing more than anything in the world is teaching God's word teaching God's word because how many of you know we can't be obedient to God's word if we don't know God's word? I'm telling you, the church is, is cursed with biblical illiteracy. We need to know the word of God and we need to be able to defend the word of God. So let's begin here in the book of Ruth, chapter one, verse one, and it begins by giving us the spiritual climate of the events that take place during the book of Ruth because it says this it says in the days when the judges ruled now the day that the judges ruled would be a 400 year period of time from the time that the children of Israel came into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua until the time that there were kings in Israel that was a 400 year period where the nation of Israel was not ruled by kings but it was ruled by judges and not ruled in the sense of, of a king, but that when there were legal matters that needed to be settled, that God would use them and their wisdom to help settle those matters. And that when God's children needed to be delivered from their enemies or from their oppression, God would raise up a judge to deliver them. But the Bible tells us in Judges chapter 21 verse 25, what that spiritual climate was like during that 400 year period when the judges ruled. And here's what it says, in those days there was no king in Israel so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the spiritual climate of the book of Ruth. When the book of Ruth kicks off, it's a day when judges ruled and during that day everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It was a dark time for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel would be disobedient to God. They would worship idols and God would send their enemy in to discipline them. And when they couldn't stand it anymore, they would cry out to God and God would raise up a judge to deliver them. And then uh, it wouldn't be long until they would start that cycle all over again. And that was the spiritual climate in which the book of Ruth begins. But notice, as we go on, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, this book of Ruth is really left open to much interpretation. Because it tells us things, but doesn't, it doesn't tell us why things are happening. 
like the famine. It doesn't tell us why there's a famine. Now, we know that a famine comes as a result of there not being any rain. But, but the Bible doesn't tell us why there hasn't been any rain. Now, we suspect it's because the nation of Israel is living in disobedience to God and that this is a result of the judgment of God upon them, but the Bible's not clear about that. It, it just simply says that in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So, a man from Bethlehem, and there's a lot of irony in this story as well, that a man in, from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, here's one of those ironies. Bethlehem, where this family lives, here's what it means. It means the house of bread. They ain't no bread in the house of bread. There's a famine in the house of bread. That's like starving to death in the Piggly Wiggly. You know what I'm talking about? You know, where you think you could go and feast and be fed, there's nothing there. And so here they are in Bethlehem, the house of bread, but there's a famine in the house of bread. But we've got to remember that Bethlehem is still the place where God's presence dwells. That, that in Jerusalem is where the temple is that represents the presence of God. So, so just because there's a famine doesn't mean that God has abandoned them, okay? Again, it's the loving hand of discipline, perhaps, that's going on here. And so it says that this, this man, when there's a famine in Bethlehem, he, he, he gets his wife and his two sons together to go live for a while. Everybody say, for a while. Now, here's what that tells me. That tells me that he didn't intend to stay there very long. But he gets his family to go live for a while in the country of Moab. Mm. Let's talk about Moab here for just a few minutes. Let me tell you, first of all, how Moab got their beginning. Moab is a nation that's named after a man by the name of Moab. Well, where did Moab come from? Who was he? Well, you go back to Genesis chapter 19 where God has brought Lot, his wife and his two daughters out of Sodom before he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Lot's wife is not able to leave without looking back. And when she looks back, the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt. That's a whole nother sermon right there. So now it's just Lot and his two daughters. And they end up in a cave in the mountains. And the daughters start looking around and saying, hey, ain't no more men here. The only man around is our daddy. And if, and if, we, don't, if we don't have children through him, I know it sounds strange. If we don't have children through him, then we're going to be barren the rest of our life. We're not going to have any kids. And so here's what one of them comes up with a great idea. She said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get our dad drunk tonight. I'm going to go in tonight and have sex with him. And she does. She has sex with her father. She gets pregnant. The, the other girl, the other daughter, does the same thing the following night, gets pregnant. And out of those two incestuous relationships come Moab and another young man by the name of Ben-Ami. Moab became the father of the Moabites. Ben-Ami became the father of the Ammonites. And listen to what God says about the nation of Moab because when the nation of Israel was coming out of Egyptian bondage toward the promised land, they needed to go through Moab to get there, but Moab wouldn't allow them to come through their territory for fear that their enemies might get upset that they let Israel come through their territory and so they didn't let them. Not only that, but the king of Moab hired a 
false prophet by the name of Balaam to pronounce curses over the nation of Israel. Well, when Balaam went to pronounce curses over the nation of Israel, God said, nope, ain't going to happen. And instead of curses coming out of his mouth, blessing came out of his mouth. How many of you know that when the favor of God is on your life, that when folks even try to curse you, blessing comes? Amen. And that's what happens here. And so here's what God said about Moab and, Am and, and, and Ammonites. He said, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. But here's something you got to know. Ruth chapter one is now the 11th generation. And there's a Moabite woman by the name of Ruth that is about to experience the favor of God. We won't get to that until next week, but I just got to give you a little bit of, a little bit of info about where we're going in this. Uh, but, but then it also said, because people say, well, weren't they forbidden to marry Moabite women? Um, not necessarily. They were not. They were not. Moab was not one of those nations that God listed that said that you're not to take wives from any of these nations. But God did say this. He said, as far as the Ammonites and Moabites are concerned, he said, don't seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Now, I think that could include marriage, don't you? Uh, don't, don't you think you have to have a treaty of friendship if you're going to live with somebody? And, and, and so God did not want... The, the Israelites and the Moabites uniting in marriage. And, and, and even at this time, Moab is about 50 miles east of the Dead Sea. And Moab, they, they are the enemies of God. Even, even in Ruth chapter 1 here, they're, they're the enemies of God. They worship a false god by the name of Chemosh who required you to sacrifice your children. I, I mean, literally, not, not like baby dedication stuff. I mean, literally sacrifice your children to God. That's the kind of people they were. And so the Bible tells us that this man takes his wife and his children. He leaves Bethlehem, the house of bread. There's a famine, and I get it, because all of us daddies here would understand this today, that He's just trying to do the best thing for his family. I mean, he's, he's supposed to be the provider. He's supposed to make sure that there's food on the table for his children. So I don't think that this was a, just a crazy, radical decision that he just got up one day and said, you know what, we're going to leave Bethlehem. We're going to go to Moab because it looks like, you know, even though this is the house of bread, it looks like it's cursed. And over there at Moab, even though they're cursed, they look like they're blessed. I, I don't think that that was his reasoning at all. I think he's just trying to take care of his family. I think he's just trying to make sure that his family have food on the table. And then we go on to the next verse and it says that this man's name was Elimelech. Now get this, his name means God is king. But he doesn't seem to be living at this moment like God is king. It seems that he's kind of taking matters into his own hands. And guys, listen to me this morning. Those of us who are husbands and those of us who are fathers, we're going to face crises in our family but we need to make sure that we make good choices in those crises. That we don't make irrational decisions, decisions and, and choices that we've not thought through because we, we need to think about how is this, going, this choice, this decision going to affect us in the long term. And I don't, think, I don't think Elimelech did that. I don't think he thought about how is this going to affect us in the long term. He only meant to go there and stay for a little while. But I like what Dr. Adrian Rogers said many years ago about sin and disobedience. He said, it'll take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. 
And that's exactly what Elimelech and his family are about to find out. But it says that the man's name was Elimelech. His, his wife's name was Naomi. Everybody say Naomi. Now, Naomi is not the main character of this book, but she is one of the main characters. As you know, Ruth, I mean, the book is named after her. She's the main character of this book other than the providential hand of God. But it says that Naomi and her name means this. Her, name's, her name means pleasant, sweet. If you would have seen her when she left Bethlehem, that's what you would have seen. A pleasant, sweet lady. Her name's Naomi. And then the name of her two sons were Malon and Kilion. That's some good Klingon names there, isn't it? <laughs> Malon and Kilion. And you know what these two names mean? Malon's name means sick or sickly. And Kilion's name means dying. So you introduce your two boys. This Malon here, he's sick. This Killian over here, he's dying. Wow. That's what their names meant. And it says that they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judea. And they went to Moab. Now look at this. To live there. I thought they were just going to stay a while. But they went to live there. And we're going to find out in a moment where they were there at least 10 years. And then notice what happens in verse 3. Now Elimelech, whose name means God is king. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. What? He's just trying to do what was best for his family. He, he's just trying to take them to a place where they can be provided for in a place of famine. And, and the Bible doesn't, again, this is one of those, those open to interpretations. It doesn't tell us what he died of. It doesn't tell us how old he was when he died. It doesn't tell us, you know, if he did anything and God got ticked off or any, any further act of disobedience that he did that, you know, that, that God allowed this to happen. It doesn't give us that at all. all. All we know is that Naomi's husband died and she was left with her two sons. So as long as she has her two sons, she still has hope. Because she got two boys that can take care of her. Two boys who can get married and have grandchildren so that even when her boys are gone, her grandchildren can take care of her. So even though her husband is, is dead, she still has some hope. But then we go to verse 4. It says that the two boys married Moabite women. Don't think they should have done that. But how many of you know that God can still fulfill his purpose and it almost seems like you see the providential sovereign hand of God in this because of Ruth who comes out of Moab. And it says they married Moabite women. One was named Orpah. You know what her name means? Stubborn. And she was stubborn. Stubborn. And the other one was named Ruth, which means friendship. And wow, what a friendship we're going to see between her and her mother-in-law. How many of you know it's possible to be friends with your mother-in-law? Say amen. amen. <laughs> it's possible to do that. So they married Moabite women. So here's what, here's what Naomi's thinking. Okay, my boys are married. You know, they're going to have me some grandkids. And, and, and now I've got hope. You know, I've got a future that these kids, they're, 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 they're going to take care of me. But 10 years they were there and had no children. Her sons had no children. And, and then when you go to verse 5, not only does it say they married Moabite women, but it said after they had lived there about 10 years, now both Malan and Kilian also died. Well, one of them was already sick, and the other one was dying. 
Why would you marry somebody like that? No, but both Malan and Killian also died. Now, look at this. Now Naomi is left without her two sons and her husband. So now she's thinking, I'm in my old age. I don't have a husband to take care of me. And now I don't have my boys who can produce grandchildren for me. They're not here to take care of me and I don't have any grandchildren later that can take care of me. So she is in a position now where she is, she's pretty much lost hope. How many of you know what it's like to just seem like you just get one blow after the other, after the other. Your husband leaves the house of bread, takes his family to Moab. You get to Moab and, and your husband dies and your two sons die and, and, and they marry Moabite women. I mean, just one blow after the other, after the other that comes to this pleasant, sweet Naomi. But then look at what happens in verse six. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return. Everybody say return because that's a huge word. You're gonna see it a lot in the book of Ruth. Prepare to return. This is a picture of repentance. This is a picture of a woman stepping out of obedience back into being obedient to God. And it says that she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home because she had heard that the Lord had visited his people. That Bethlehem is where the presence of the Lord is. And where the presence of the Lord is, is the provision of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the protection of the Lord and the favor of the Lord. And so she decides that she's going to go back to Bethlehem. And then in verse seven, it says she's going to go with her two daughters-in-law. She left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. That's repentance, ladies and gentlemen. When you leave where you've been, and you turn around and go where you're supposed to be. And that's what Naomi does. She left the place where she had been living. And I'm telling you something, I believe the Holy Spirit is, is, is speaking to some people in here today that you've been in disobedience too long. You've been in rebellion too long. It's time for you to leave that place. And it's time for you to come back to the presence of God. Now, here's, here's another irony about this story. Why did Elimelech move his family to Moab to begin with? So that they wouldn't die. So that they would live. What happened when they got there? He died. And his sons died. And so, she takes her two daughters-in-law. She goes back. To Judah, And in verse 8, it said, Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness. And that word kindness there is the Hebrew word of said, which talks about the covenant loyalty of God. And notice what she says about her daughters-in-law. She said, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands. So evidently, they were some pretty good girls that they had shown that kind of loyalty to their husbands. And then it says, I pray that God will show you that kindness just as you showed kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And she said, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Because you see, what a woman needs more than anything else is she needs security. 
She needs to know I've got somebody that's going to be there to provide. Somebody there to protect me. And Naomi said, I can't do that. I don't have anything. I don't have a husband. I don't have sons. I don't have grandchildren. And she says to her daughters-in-law, you would be better off to go back to your mother's house because they have better provision for you there than I can have for you. I have nothing, she says. And, and, and then she goes on and says, then she kissed her, her daughters-in-law goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Now, before you start saying that's two good, really good daughter-in-laws right there, that was the custom of the day. That if they told you to leave, you had to make it look like you really didn't want to leave. And so they said, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Now, she's in introducing us here to something that we're going to see more fully next week. That when your husband died, it then became the responsibility of the brother to that husband to take responsibility, to marry and to take responsibility for his wife so that the family name could continue. And if, if the husband didn't have any brothers, then it would be the next nearest kinsman. They call it a kinsman redeemer. And she's thinking, I don't have a husband. I don't have any sons. I don't have any grandsons. And I don't... I don't know of any other family that I have back in Bethlehem who can, who can be my next of kin to take care of you girls. And so she said, am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? Because that's what they would have had to do. She would have had to get remarried. She would have had to get pregnant. Again, she's in her 50s. How many want to get pregnant in their 50s? You know, she's in her 50s. She would have to get pregnant again. She would have to have two more sons. Those two sons would have to grow up in order for these two girls to be able to marry them. You see the complication here. You can understand why she's saying to them, you don't want to go with me. You need to go back home. And here's what, here's what she said, no, my daughters, because they were saying to her, would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. I want you to notice one thing here about Naomi. She believes in God. And she believes that God doesn't tolerate disobedience and that you cannot experience the favor of God and the blessings of God in your life as long as you are in a place of disobedience. And she said, the Lord's hand is against me. And you know what? It was. It seems to be that the Lord's hand was against her and that the Lord's hand was against this bad decision, this disobedient decision that they had made. And then it says, at this they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Or, but like, this is my time, my, my opportunity to get out of here, to get out of this mess. All she's thinking about, I'm going back home, I'm going to find me a man, I'm going to get remarried, I'm going to have children, I'm going to enjoy life. But Ruth says this, Ruth says, I'm willing to sacrifice all of that. And she clung to Naomi. 
and said, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. And then here's these wonderful, beautiful words that you hear in marriage ceremonies. But it didn't come from husband to wife. It came from a daughter-in-law to her mother. And she said, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. I want you to notice what she's saying here. She's saying that I'm no longer a Moabite. I'm now an Israelite. She's also saying this. She's saying that where you go, I will go. That no longer am I to live in Moab, but I'm going back with you to live in Bethlehem. Even though all of my family, even though all of my friends, even though all of my acquaintances are back there in Moab, I'm willing to go somewhere I've never been, not knowing if I'm going to be accepted or if I'm going to be rejected. She says, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to stay where you stay. Your people is going to be my people. And I love this. Your God is my God. No longer do I serve Chemosh, but now I serve the same God that you serve, Naomi. Now, and, and this is, again, is a picture of the repentance that takes place in the life of this Moabite woman. And look what happens. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Even after you die, I'm still not leaving. I'm still going to be where you were. And then in verse 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I think Naomi's the one that should have been named Stubborn. Because she was determined to go with, or, or, or Ruth should have been named stubborn because she was determined to go with Naomi wherever she went. And then, so, so we come to verse 19. And it says that the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Because you see, they, they saw her when she left. Pleasant, sweet, but now life's been hard. Life has been difficult. She's experienced some hard knocks. And when she comes in, you can tell it by the countenance on her face. And they said, is this Naomi? Don't look like Naomi. And then in verse 20, she said this to them. She said, don't call me Naomi. Pleasant, sweet. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because she said, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Whoa, now, hang on. I can understand you believing that the hand of God is at work in your life to get you back on track. But God is not the one who caused the bitterness in your heart. You see, we may not be able to control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond to what happens to us. Right? Now, you would think she would put a little blame on her husband. I mean, he's the one that made the decision and the choice to put her in the situation that she was in. But no, how many of you know that so many times when people are angry and bitter and resentful, they get mad at God as if it's all God's fault. 
But our decisions, our choices, our obedience or disobedience has a lot to do with it. And she said, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. So she left sweet. She left pleasant. She came back bitter. And how many of you know if we're not careful, the same thing can happen to us. Life can start off so wonderful, so sweet, so pleasant. But then we go through all kinds of circumstances and situations. And before we know it, we're mad, we're angry, we're bitter. We we, we lash out at others. But notice what happens. Verse 21, here's what she said. She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. No, he didn't, Naomi. You're not empty. We're going to see here in just a moment just what all she still had left. She said, why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. No, no, Naomi, it was not God who did this to you. It was bad choices. It was a bad decision. It was, and, 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 and even though it, it was done with good intention, it was still outside of the will of God for your family's life. And we, we, we here this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we need to learn how to start taking responsibility for the choices that we make and not make choices and then they, they, they tank out on us and everything goes wrong and then we want to blame God and everybody else. But can I tell you this morning that even though you've made some bad choices, bad decisions that's put you in some places where you feel you're outside the hand of God's favor in your life, that God can continue to work even through that and that God can turn things around when you turn around and all of a sudden you can experience the favor of God unlike you've ever experienced his favor before. Because notice what happens next. It says in verse 22, and this is the last verse. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now that's so important because the barley harvest is the first harvest to come in in the springtime. There's three harvests. There's the barley harvest, the wheat harvest, and the grape harvest. And it's the barley harvest that comes in first. And, and and, 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 and it happens in the spring of the year, that, that, that season of the year where everything, we've just come out of winter and everything has died. We've just come out of winter and there's no fruit. We've just come out of winter and everything is barren. But now spring is here. It's a new season. It's a new day. A new harvest, amen, is coming in. And what was once dead is now coming back to life. What was once barren is now fruitful. And that's the timing of her return back to Bethlehem. And God, I believe, is saying to her and us through that, I want to do something new in your life. I want to do something fresh in your life. I left full, but I came back empty. No, you didn't. It's harvest time. Naomi, it's harvest time. Not only that, Naomi, if you'll you'll just look beside you, there's this young lady by the name of Ruth. And oh, if you could just only see, Naomi, what's going to happen for you because of her 
and a kingdom connection that I'm going to give her in chapter two with a guy by the name of Boaz. If you could only see how your life's beginning to change. And, and, and if she could also just have hope of God's future blessing. See, she's not, she's not empty. We, we sometimes exaggerate our problems and exaggerate our issues when, when, when we feel like God has abandoned us and that, and that, that God is responsible for all of these things that have happened in our life. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Some of you may feel like Naomi. You may feel like, well, at one time I was full, but now I'm empty. But God wants you to see. God wants you to see with spiritual eyes exactly what is available at his disposal. Amen. That God can connect you with people that can forever change your life. And that God can put you in circumstances and situations that can completely turn your life around. And you need to see not only that, but you need to see you may have lost a lot, but what do you still have left? Thank God for what you still have left. Can we do that this morning? <laughs> necessary endings so that we can experience new beginnings. It's been said, as you stand with me this morning, it's been said that the book of Ruth is the most beautiful love story that has ever been written in the history of our world. Did you, did you just hear me? That in the Bible, four chapters, we read about the most beautiful love story that's ever been told, that's ever been written. And each and every week that we come in here over the next few weeks, today we just kind of laid our foundation I'm going to tell you something. You do not want to miss next Sunday. Because this story begins to come alive. You begin to see the providential hand of God. How many of you know that song we sing? Even when you don't see it, he's working. And even when you don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And we're going to see what this world would say is luck. What this world would say is just chance. We see it as the providential, sovereign hand of God lining everything up. Because you know what's going to eventually happen is that Ruth meets and marries Boaz. Naomi was concerned that the name won't continue. <laughs> But Ruth, her daughter-in-law, marries Boaz. They have a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David, the greatest king of all of Israel. How would you like it now? Because Naomi can say, my great, great, great grandson is David. The king over all of Israel. And then you keep that list of descendants going. And do you know who ultimately comes? Jesus. And Naomi's saying, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. If she could have only seen what God was working behind the scenes. Woo! Glory. <laughs> So, Lord, we thank you this morning that your word will not return void. 
God, all we've done today is just read your word together. Hopefully, Lord, we have correctly interpreted your word and this story. And that we can learn, Lord, that before we can experience new beginnings, there's got to be some necessary endings in our lives. We've got to step out of our disobedience. Father, I believe that there are some young men and some young women in this room here today, not married, but some young men and some young women in this room here today, you're in relationships that you need to break away from. Because it's keeping you from God's best in your life. Are you hearing me? There's some, there's some, there's some people here this morning that are involved in some things that are displeasing to God. Now I'm just going to get old time on you right now. God is a holy God. I'm not your standard. I'm imperfect. God is our standard of righteousness. And there's some things that we need to end in our lives. Some things that's got to stop in our lives. Oh, speak to us this morning, Holy Spirit. Some necessary endings if you want to experience the new beginnings and the new season that God has for you. So Lord, do your work in each and every one of us. We humble ourselves with a contrite spirit. We fear and we tremble at your word that we might experience and position ourselves for your favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.